This is Broken Hearted with Althea Branton. Join me every Monday for countercultural conversations about heartbreak in all its forms. Welcome to Broken Hearted. I'm Althea Branton. Thank you for being here. Kaylin Aaron is a writer, editor, coach, non-binding ex-copywriter with story in their blood and astrological chart. Kaylin and I have had a series of incredible conversations about writing and what it is to be an entrepreneur and what it means to, quote, show up, end quote, and air quotes especially, find your voice. So this conversation I have with Kaylin is one that's near and dear to me because as an entrepreneur, I'm constantly finding myself going back to Google searches and following people's step blueprints where they made a bazillion dollars in three nanoseconds. So if now that the new year is coming and you all fully know that just because the calendar says January 1 doesn't mean your life has to upend, but this is for you if you've ever experienced difficulty as an entrepreneur showing up in the world. Enjoy. Kaylin, welcome to Broken Hearted. It is a pleasure. I can't wait to have this conversation with you. I'm so excited. I Thank you, Althea. I'm so excited to be here. This is just... <laughs> so now we get to let everyone know why we're literally like sitting here just freaking out. So Kaylin and I have had a beautiful conversation before we're having this one. And Kaylin is a copywriter, but I honestly believe that Kaylin, you are more than just a copywriter because it doesn't, I don't feel that this really encompasses all that you do. It, it so, really doesn't, but... <laughs> When I say copywriter, at least in you know, most online and marketing circles, people know what I do. It's a lot easier than explaining copy coaching and other stuff that I do. Oh, so. totally hear you. I mean, you should see the looks when I tell people that I help people recover from heartbreak or the ones that I get when I say I have a podcast, you would think I import cheese from the moon and serve it on crackers. It's just the one that copywriters get in like non-marketing circles is oh so you do like copyright law and it's like no no it's totally different so for those of you who don't know what copywriting is copy is you know what kaylin why don't you explain it because i feel like if i do this i might just not give this justice. Sure. So the the best way to describe copywriting, in my opinion, is there is a very old quote, and I forget who it's by, but it says that a copywriter is a salesperson behind a typewriter. Copy. Ooh. Yeah. So copy is the term for like text and what they use in advertising um, when they're like creating an ad. So that's how we got the name. We are the writers of copy used in advertising. And in marketing and advertising, the whole point is to sell the product. So we are salespeople behind typewriters or laptops or you know iPads or whatever it is you're writing on these days. Right. So the experiences that I've had with copyright, I, I like to think I'm a decent writer. I mean, I have been writing for some time. I even write poetry. More on that later. The, the stuff that I have tried to write... I, have, I almost think I failed. And when I say failed, that the intended outcome of my writing 
So that's emails or text on my website or social media posts. The, I always feel like every time I write something, the intended outcome never happens. Mm -hmm. So because that doesn't happen, I almost think, okay, is there something wrong with my copy? Have I not found my voice? Because we're supposed to be authentic, right? Mm -hmm. We're supposed to be our real selves. And I, I, I don't know. I just, I, I hesitate with this. I, I just, when I hear the words finding, find your voice, I kind of want to stab myself with a unicorn's horn in my eyeball. It just sounds so arbitrary. Well, and also because all of the people talking about like, find your voice are almost always like pink glitter boss babes who have unicorns in their branding. So it, it's very apt. Um, <laughs> I, I feel you because copywriting inherently is very difficult, first off. Um, and then a lot of the online businesses, the people who like have done copywriting programs, like copywriting is instrumental and has been instrumental to every big name online entrepreneur you see. And this is why they talk about it so much, but it's not as simple as sitting down and taking a course and learning how to do it and finding your voice and all the, all this fucking bullshit. Like the, you mentioned that you feel like you failed when you write mm -hmm. an email and nobody buys from it or nobody responds to it. And this is the thing with copywriting that really, really screws people up is the fact that, you know, marketing is sales. Sales is money. In a capitalist, in a capitalist society, money is survival. And so when you are sitting down to the page, you're not just writing. You're not just saying something. You're not just expressing something. There is all of that pressure of this needs to make money. This needs to bring in, like, this is my business. This is my rent sitting on your pen on the page. And all of a sudden it's just like, fuck, like that is a lot to put on words on a page. And it is very easy to feel like we failed because neoliberal capitalism basically puts everything back on the individual. So when you write something that doesn't work, all of a sudden, yes, it's your fault. You did it wrong. So you just need to take this other copywriting course that I can sell you and all these other things. Um, there is a really fantastic quote from Eugene Schwartz, who is the father, one of the fathers of modern copywriting. And I believe it's in Breakthrough Advertising that he says that desire cannot be created. Desire can only be channeled. And we channel it onto things we're selling. But when we sit down to write our own copy, what happens is our desire to make money and effectively survive ends up being channeled onto the page. And so, and onto your copy. And that shuts down creativity in ways that I cannot even begin to comprehend and begin to say to you. Because it's just psychologically that just shuts down it, like I, I i would love to see brain scans of this i don't know if anyone has done it yet but i i imagine that the brain activity would actually physically be different because there is that thing going to the back of your mind that i you know i i need to i need to write this to make money and so when we come across these people who are just like oh yeah all you have to do is find your voice and stand out and be different you know, they're identifying a problem because a lot of the times, like a lot of copy that most decent writers write is not bad, but it's also not great. Like it's not, oh God, like drop everything. I need to buy this now. It's not like, holy shit. Like I'm sitting here in tears because yeah, you just hit me so hard with what I needed to hear. Um, 
a lot of good writers write good copy, but they don't write copy that actually moves people to buy. And so the, the people marketing to those of us who are sitting down at the page, they know that we struggle to think of ways to say things differently, ways to stand out. So they go, there's, there's a concept in market research that I like to kind of describe as almost like fool's gold, um, where when we, it stop me, like you can interject at any time here. Because <laughs> um, there's like five different <laughs> concepts in my brain that I'm like weaving together. Um, but so fool's gold is this thing where like we often really, you know, everybody says you do research, you do research, you do research. Um, and that is absolutely true with copy. Um, copy isn't like, it's about selling to someone, but in order to sell to someone through words, you need to know where they're at and like what they're thinking, what they've experienced, what they've been through and what's going to be useful for them to know when they're making the decision to buy something from you. So See, that makes absolute sense to me. Mm -hmm. Right. And another thing that makes absolute sense to me is knowing that every time when I go and try to write something, you're absolutely right, Kaylin. The mm -hmm. thing in the back of my head is, how am I going to pay my bills with this? <laughs> right? right? <laughs> so, how, so how am I going to, is this thing going to incent someone on the other end to pick up the phone, purchase my services so that yes, I can actually pay for life. Yep. So uh, yeah, that's breaking that down makes absolute yeah. sense. And it, I wish you could see me nodding because I'm sitting here literally just nodding and nodding like, yes, yes, she's absolutely right. They're right, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but and this is like when I made these connections myself, it was a similar thing where it's like, oh, this is why I can write copy for someone else, but not for myself because my bills had already been paid. I take a 50% deposit on all copywriting projects. So I've already paid my rent. I can now like do this pressure free because I'm protected by my contract. But, and so that removes a lot of the financial pressure because yes, I want it to perform, but it doesn't have to perform for me. Um, but I just want to close off on that fool's gold thing because a lot of the times when we're feeling this pressure, we go out looking for solutions and people mm. tell us what to do. They say, oh yeah, find your voice, do this, do that, do research. And mm. a lot of the times we go and we do research. Like I actually had a client who she'd written a sales page. She was selling like an eight month, she, she teaches um, female entrepreneurs how to be body confident because their body confidence is often undermining their ability to get visible, get recognized, like, and, and get their companies rolling, really. Mm -hmm. um, but she had sort of, the, the main pain point that she was talking about all throughout the page was hopping on Facebook Lives. And when I looked at the page, like hopping on a 20 minute Facebook Live and you're going to sell me an eight month course, these two things are totally out of proportion right? The pain point mm. itself is out of proportion with the thing. But I went and looked at the research she did and every single one of her clients and you know everyone she talked to was mentioning, oh, like I have trouble getting on Facebook live. And I totally get that, but it's, it's like a false nugget. It doesn't get at the core of what's really going on. It, it's a thing people say and people say it as well with find your voice as though finding your voice is like this Pansea, like all it's just super easy you'd follow these five steps and there's your voice no 
there is there's so many more reasons why we don't speak than just I don't know how to find words on a page that sound like me like that you literally don't have the vocabulary almost in written form to mirror the way you speak um which is is true we access different parts of our brains when writing than versus speaking so it, it makes sense why we have trouble sounding like ourselves on the page but you know it, it's it's not this Pansea, because it's not what's actually going on. Like when we don't have a voice, quote unquote, like if, if you have a voice and nobody's listening, that's a different thing from feeling like you don't know what you're going to say, right? If you, mm. with a voice finding, part of it is that as like, I was assigned female at birth, I'm, I'm non-binary trans, but I was assigned female at birth. So I got like all the cultural conditioning that our society keeps on women. Um, I also got all the conditioning that gets heaped upon uh, queer and trans people. Um, you know, I know you've had all of the conditioning that gets heaped on black and brown people and, mm -hmm. you know, all of the ways that we are reinforced that we are wrong and that we are lesser and that we are inferior, all of these things keep us silent. We are taught that speaking up and speaking back comes with massive consequences to our personal safety. And so finding your voice, while it is like a, like a matter of like making your message pop and using better words, it is also really a message of like, you know, it, it, it's a surface, it pro, like it's a surface band-aid that they're slapping over this much, much deeper problem of how we've been conditioned and especially how we've been conditioned to show up in business areas. Because I can talk to people. I have friends who will say things to me over drinks at the bar that they would never fucking ever say in their own business and their own marketing. And yet those things at the bar are the ones that have me hiring them because those are the things that are true. And yet we've been afraid to speak truth. Like we've been trained to be afraid to speak truth. So and here's the deal. Mm -hmm. I, in the work that I do with heartbreak, Heartbreak is never about the actual heartbreak. Mm -hmm. There's always something deeper at the core. Always. Yes. And showing up, and I, I use this term a lot, showing up, showing up to yourself, showing up to who you are, those parts of yourself that have been hidden for so long. What this really comes down to, Kaylin, is... Finding, it's not even about finding your voice because you're absolutely right. This is hella surface, yeah. right? This is literally yeah. like, this is kind of what's just floating around right now. It's, it's that kind of truth that's, it's okay to deal with that truth because it kind of hurts a little bit. It's like a mosquito bite. It stings. It's a little bit annoying, but over time you get over it. Yeah. It's not a huge deal, but when it's something deeper than that, and you're absolutely right about the conditioning and, and not being able to speak. And when you do speak, God help you, literally. Yeah. Because the consequences that follow are, are un unthinkable. So when it comes to dealing with that, you're absolutely right. It's not just about, oh, I need to find the words. It's about, am I, do I even feel safe? using these words. Yes. Do I, do I feel okay? Is something going to happen to me if I really say what I want to say? Mm -hmm. And because 
we live in a capitalist society, one where the only valid form of payment really is money, where, you know, your landlord could evict you, all these sorts of things, where we, we rely on money to give us like community and tribe, um, you know, because you can't afford food or rent or anything if you don't have money. Um, when we live in a society like that, it's like anything that speaks out against dominant ideas is a direct threat to safety. Because, you know, I, I live in Vancouver and I remember reading an article several months ago about a First Nations woman who was, you know, evicted by her landlord for like the smell in the apartment. Well, it turns out she like, and she contested this because she was saging the apartment as First Nations, this is part of her religion and it, it's not an unpleasant smell either. Um, but he, you know, he was, I think the landlord thought it was weed or something like that. And it was explicitly nothing like that in the agreement. Like that was explicitly forbidden in the rent agreement. Um, but, you know, where I'm going with this is that, be, you know, speaking these things, doing these things can actually threaten our physical safety. And, and you're right about that so much because it is, and it goes back to what you were saying earlier, like with, when you're sitting down on the page like oh like how is this going to pay my rent it's the exact same thing it's mm -hmm. if by saying this will i then cut off the support group that's giving bringing money to me mm -hmm. right if i say this will i alienate the friends and mentors and colleagues who send me referrals mm -hmm. you know and it becomes a far more complex question when we actually looked at like the lived reality than just oh you know find your voice all mm -hmm. the people who do like who can just like find their voices quote unquote are, are honestly like straight cis white women with with online businesses or straight cis white men who just like oh just need a new angle on their shit um mm -hmm. instead of having to you know unpack more and more of like the trauma of existing in a you know colonialist capitalist society mm -hmm. and it's not easy no right it's <laughs> It's not at all. It's it's not easy, and, and and I say this as a woman of color. I, the times that I have been called angry, when all I'm doing is expressing an emotion or an opinion, mm -hmm. or expressing a thought, it's easily deciphered as oh she's just she's just an angry black woman, but I'm supposed to be strong at the same time, mind you. Oh, exactly. And how can you be strong without having an opinions? And none of it makes any fucking sense. No, it's just, it's this endless circle. So yeah. it comes back to, I think about my own experience about even starting this podcast. I did go through a little bit of, I need to find my voice because I literally had to sit with myself and say to myself, self, can I actually get on the airwaves every week and say something? Mm, yeah. Can I get up here and talk about spirituality? Can I talk about grief? Can I talk about pain? Can I talk about loss? Can I talk about what it is to really face your own self? Mm -hmm. What that looks like? Well, I'm still here. <laughs> I'm still doing this. Yeah, I had to ask myself similar questions um, because in earlier iterations of my business, I was doing like, oh, storytelling and marketing. And I was doing like funnels for tech companies for a while. And I was always writing these like how-to articles and talking about like, oh, different copy techniques. And I'm like, this isn't actually solving the problem. You know, mm -hmm. this isn't what, and also this isn't what I want to be talking about. 
um, I, I talk about like, yeah, there's marketing psychology, but then there's like the deeper psychology of how we work as humans and the deeper mm. truths of writing. And we bring like, there is literally no way to sit a part of you down at the page without having the rest of your body there with you. All of you comes to the page, whether or not you acknowledge that. And that includes all the trauma, all the pressures, all the stress, all the good things, all the bad. I literally, on my website, I refer to copywriting as writing, like, no, how did I, how did I put it? Um, quote, oh yeah, it's sorting through the head trash that is writing for money. <laughs> I love that because it's so true. It, it really is. Like there is all kinds of, of trash that comes up because copywriting is selling. And especially when you're a coach um, or you're a solopreneur or a service provider and you're selling your own services, you're selling your skills, you're effectively selling yourself. And when mm -hmm. you don't, and like the whole, like, oh, you believe in yourself. Like that's, I, I don't believe in like the shtick version, but there is truth to it. Cause I was in sales for eight years and I sold products across all kinds of different industries. And the times where I was a shitty salesperson were times when I didn't believe in the product. If you don't believe in the product, if you don't stand behind it like a thousand percent, it is extremely difficult to sell. And so it, it, you, you then enter this weird thing of, oh, I'm, I have to sell myself, but I've literally been fucking trained by the society I live in to not believe in myself and to believe that I'm worth less and to believe that I don't deserve this. And or then- that or that your voice doesn't matter, your opinion doesn't matter. Yeah. And, and then on top of it, when you go looking for like, it's, oh, my voice doesn't matter, my opinion doesn't matter, then you go and look at all of these copywriting courses and people telling you, oh, you just have to follow the simple six-step formula and it'll work and you'll rank it all the money. <laughs> no, it doesn't work like that. The you know, I have a massive hate on for these articles that are like, oh, you know, 25 copywriting rules you need to follow every time. It's like, no, rules may, are made to be broken. These rules exist only because they express, rules attempt to express a fundamental copywriting principle, but rules do not capture all the nuances and applications of that principle. But Kaylin, don't I have to become an expert? Don't I have to position myself as an authority? <laughs> I remember I said this to someone and they literally like, again, I get the, I get this look all the time, Kaylin. It's that I am importing cheese from the moon and here's a cracker. Mm -hmm. So it's, I said to them, I'm not here to be an authority. I'm not here to be a guru. I'm not here to be an expert. My genuine desire is to ask a question and hopefully not necessarily receive an answer, but hopefully help you to ask yourself a question mm -hmm. and maybe to shift your thinking, maybe for you to see something a bit differently. Mm -hmm. If I have done that just by asking questions and kind of saying, you know what, we've all believed this for so long, why? What's it doing for us? Yeah. Why do we have this? We're supposed to love ourselves, but we also were, were trained to hate ourselves too. Yeah. And the whole thing with the, you know, position yourself as an expert, as an authority. Mm -hmm. uh, 
that is also cultural conditioning. And that comes from the fact that we don't really have ways of recognizing people that are, don't involve hierarchical power structures. And so when you're positioning yourself as an authority, as an expert, you're effectively trying to exert power over other people and you're saying to them like, oh, you know, I, you know, I, like I'm an authority on this. I know more than you do and you follow my way. I, Mm -hmm. and there's a huge difference between having your experience and your skills and your expertise be recognized versus having power over someone and that's the difference like yes. you want someone to recognize you as a master craftsperson as mm-hmm. you know in your case it may be recognizing as like you know similar to like a therapist or a healer or something when i'm in that mm-hmm. situation yeah you're the one i need in my case it's years and years of writing and sales and you know knowledge and craft around the stuff that lets me do what i do that does need to be centered because it gives me the you know it, it's you're not blind buying on blind faith then it's like okay like they're they you know they can actually walk the walk right talk versus you get people who are like i'm an expert and blah 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 and they're saying that literally just to like get you to enroll into your program their program and give you five (laughs) grand and then they're just going to be like okay here's the six modules oh it's not working you must have followed it wrong and then they walk away there's, there's a huge difference Mm-hmm. between showcasing your experience and kind of like taking your genius on a walk is a, is a phrase I stole from a mentor of mine. Um, but almost like taking your genius on a walk and letting people see it and be like, oh yeah, that is actually the thing I need versus showing up, hi, yo, I'm the authority and you need to listen. Um, <laughs> and that is effectively what we get taught is we get taught to be that authority instead of actually relating to people from a place of, hey, this is what I do. This is what I'm really fucking good at. You need help with it? We should talk. But how can we be an authority if we've never been an authority in our own lives? This is true. Because if you've never felt like you were in charge of your own life, like your your opinions were yours, you were free to do as you saw fit. And then all of a sudden, and this comes back to those consequences we spoke about before. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, you want to go out into the world and do your thing, right? So if you want to go and open up a shop and make cookies, you could make cookies. But if you've never experienced what it is to lead on your own life, how are you supposed to go out in the world and say, I am the expert and authority on making cookies, therefore all see me buy my stuff. Yeah, and, and this is why I think there's a phenomenon of, if you look at like kind of, not just the biggest names, but even that like second tier of people who are really successful, even if they're not like superstar status in online business, you see the trend of they've all had careers in corporate, they all have degrees, they've all done stuff. Like all of the people who have really healthy businesses almost always have some previous experience and knowledge either in their field or leading Mm -hmm. because when you're going into an online business what ends up happening is like you have to take charge like you said you have to be the authority you have to be the boss Mm -hmm. and when you've never had that when you've been like you know a a waitress or a retail slave like I was um you know it 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 becomes like 
literally there's nothing left for you to think about in those roles. I mean, I don't want to say they're not skilled. It takes a lot of skill to do retail. It takes a lot of skill to wait tables and be successful at it. Um, but especially in like bad work environments, everybody in those roles knows you get micromanaged. Did you upsell this? Did you check that? Did you add this promo? Did you blah, 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 blah. Like you're literally given checklists of like what to do around the store that needs to be done before, you know, our inspection on Friday. Like it's, there's nothing left for you to think or take charge of. You just do. And then you transition into a business where all of a sudden you have to think and take charge of stuff and you have no experience running a business and maybe marginal expertise with the thing you're talking about. It's nearly impossible to be an authority, quote unquote, because there is no experience there. So Kaylin, here's the thing. There's this discord that's happening, mm -hmm. right? So when it comes to putting words on a page, it's like it's opening up Pandora's box because now you're opening up all of your conditioning, all everything that's happened to you in your life, mm -hmm. all the past traumas, all the adverse child experiences, everything. All of you is like filling up your pen. All that ink is going into your pen and God knows what's going to come out of it. Right. But yeah what needs to come out of it is something that's got to feed your behind. And if you don't feed your behind, well, you don't want to be a product of the system. Yeah. You don't have to, you know, start asking for assistance or anything like that. So I feel like there's this aversion right now, especially in the personal development space. And I've, I've talked about this a lot. It's this aversion to really, Getting real with yourself mm -hmm. is very easy. And I've seen this before. It's very easy to say, I need help. But you, the, what you're asking for is a veneer, usually rose colored in fashion. Mm -hmm. Something that's going to just scratch the itch of the mosquito bite. So it just doesn't itch anymore. But the fact is, is that venom is inside and it's still there. There's this aversion to really getting real with yourself to really face the icky parts that you don't like about yourself. Because if all you've ever been taught is yourself is shite, right? Then of course, this is how you feel you're going to show up. So on one hand, we're being, and this is even more conditioning, I think, we're being taught to write from the heart and be authentic and be real. But if you've never been real with anybody, never mind yourself, mm -hmm. how can you be real? And how are we supposed to show up? It, it, how are we can't. supposed to tell the world that, you know what? I'm really good at what I do. Like really good. You, you and I'm not just <laughs> like, you literally cannot. And this is, I've heard it said over and over and over again, like entrepreneurship is an inside game. Like entrepreneurship, mm. like the, the actual steps of like setting up a business are very straightforward. Cold pitching for clients is very straightforward. All of like all of the actual action steps you take are not actually that difficult. No. What makes it difficult is like you said, we've been trained to feel like ourselves are shite. And so it is literally having to undo all of that conditioning and looking at it. And this is why I think so many people burn out or fail or, you know, go back to corporate or get stuck because it is, it's not so much, and I don't want to ignore like actual realities. Um, 
but so much of entrepreneurship is very much having to face that shit inside yourself. And there's either, there's either you face the shit and you come to terms with it and you work on getting rid of it. And then you, you, by excising this stuff, you've created space for new things to come in and for new ways of being and thinking and acknowledging who you are and working your business, you know, flow into that new space or you dance in the shit. And you become one of those bro marketers, the hard lines who are just like, oh, I do this and this. And you sort of, you know, the ones who I think are so, so deep in the shit that they're very likely to never come out. I think that is the path most of them end up taking because it's, it's easier to stay blind, especially when you have all kinds of privilege. And especially when that privilege, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, I just have to get used to using a few kind of hardball sales tactics, especially in my emails, maybe, um, that's a lot easier to come to grips with than the fact that, no, actually, you're a racist colonizing piece of shit. Um, and you have a lot of work to do before you can actually be a good person because all of the attitudes, all the thoughts, all the feelings, everything you've been carrying that you've ingested from your culture is about oppressing others. Nobody wants to be, we have this concept in like, in like white culture, my family, my heritage is like, um, white, Irish, and like British. I've got lots of family in England and the UK. Um, and sort of like the dominant culture, because that is what we've imported from them is very much this idea of being good, but good is like a fixed value. It's not good as a practice. It is good as like this rigid black and white thing. And so if you have one strike against you, all of a sudden you can no longer be good. And if they don't admit to holding racist thoughts, racist ideals, you know, if they don't admit to being anti-LGBTQ, if they don't admit to having transphobic thoughts or feelings, like, you know, all of a sudden they can still firmly put themselves in the good category. I can still be a good person. Nobody wants to be a bad person, but there's a, 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 cognitive dissonance almost that they have to endure in order to keep this really rigid flexible box of good in their brains and that that i think is a huge part of what happens is there's either you either have to face the fact that the box was constructed to keep you down and to keep you compliant or you have to confront the fact that you've been abandoning yourself in order to fit in and you have to find your way back to yourself no matter how hard that is and it's, it's that deeper piece that it's extremely difficult. I've had to do it. Like I didn't come out till I was 28. Like it's, it's, it's fucking, I didn't know I was non-binary first till I was 25. And then I didn't come out till I was 28. Um, it's, it's like one of the fucking hardest things you will ever do is having to like go through that reintegration of self and re-understanding who you are. And I don't know that, I think the only reason I did it is again, like I'm, I'm a trans person, our statistics on suicide are fucking ridiculous. Um, and for me, it was a matter of, I need to do this or I'm like, my mental health will continue to suffer. Um, and it was literally, uh, this is now threatening my survival before I could start making those changes. And especially when you have privilege protecting you and contributing to your ongoing survival, all of a sudden it just becomes so much easier to just be like, to just live with the dissonance or to find ways to tone the dissonance down. Um, and instead of having to actually do the work. Kaylin, I got a big question for you. Shoot. What do we do? That is a very good question. <laughs> this is my purpose to ask big, dutty, crazy questions because I'm, I'm sitting here, a solo parent, 
-hmm. saying to myself, yeah, the, the, the DAG is stacked against me. Let's be real for a second. Yeah. But I'm not giving up and I'm way too obstinate for my own good. I don't believe in fighting for a peace in this world. I don't want a peace of this world. There's nothing here for me. Nobody's going to recognize me. Nobody's going to honor me. I'm going to create my own world. Mm -hmm. I'm going to create my own platforms. And I'm going to say what I bloody well need to say. So having said that, because like I said, too obstinate for my own good, what do we do? Because there's gotta be something. Yeah. This can't just, I'm not just gonna sit here and wallow in my own shite. Yeah, no, right? there is, absolutely. <laughs> and there is, there is a way forward. And I think, and the first step is knowing. Like knowledge mm. is power and naming mm. is power. And, but oftentimes we have, like recognizing the reality of a thing is so important. So like when we talk about capitalism, um, a lot of people group all of business and commerce and money and sales and marketing under that. No, mm. common, like capitalism is an economic system which is basically designed to make the rich richer and the poor poor. Um, and as a result, especially with uh, shareholder capitalism, which we now live in, um, every like human lives get pushed aside to increase the bottom line. And so, and all of the profit gets filtered to the people at the top who have not really contributed to it at all. Mm -hmm. So what ends up happening is like when we know that that is capitalism all of a sudden that becomes way easier to tackle than thinking it's all of business all of money money is not inherently bad money is a very useful tool for exchanging goods and services and for letting each of us get and purchase what we need when we need it instead of needing to barter with the doctor oh i've got a i've got you know three goats can you do surgery on my knee right <laughs> money is a useful exchange tool marketing markets predate capitalism there were markets long before there was capitalism. Marketing is a way to stand out and explain your value in a given market, right? Business existed pre-capitalism. Maybe it was done differently, but business existed before that. So naming capitalism and, and naming these things is the first step. And once we know what they are, where they end, that allows us to see the way forward because capitalism, especially in marketing and in copywriting, you know, in the pursuit of all these profits, you know, promotes and goes for all of these tactics that are just like really triggering. You'll never, like, you'll never win. You'll never survive, blah, blah, blah. Like they, they deliberately trigger your, like the lizard parts of your brain and threaten your survival. However, there is, and this makes us recognizing that and recognizing which tactics are you know, un, not needed and, un, and unhelpful and blatantly exploitative versus recognizing the actual reality we live in, right? So there's um, false scarcity is a great example here. A lot of people I work with are really afraid to put any sort of scarcity in their, in their work because we get so used to false scarcity. These guys on the internet saying, oh, yo, download this PDF in the next 12 minutes or you'll never be able to find it again. Um, you know, it'll be gone. And it's like, dude, that's not how the Amazon servers fucking work. <laughs> Or the countdown. I love seeing the countdowns. Like you have, you got to do it because it's going to run out or, mm -hmm. oh, you got to show up to the webinar, even though it's evergreen. Oh, I know. Ooh, right? You're like, not I, fooling anybody. There was, there was a marketer <laughs> whose webinar I was on. It was like one of these bigger names and they were saying it was live. And I looked at the clock 
because I'm a night owl. And I was like, dude, you live on the East Coast. I'm on the West Coast. I'm like, dude, it is 1 p.m. in like 1 a.m. in New York right now. There is no fucking way you are doing something at 1 a.m. on a Thursday morning. Right? And so recognizing the reality, like that is all absolutely something faked in order to get you to buy now and to buy faster versus um, like the reality is like we do live in a, in a world with fixed resources. You know, there is an insane amount of water in the ocean. Like there is the human brain almost can't can't comprehend it. But you know what? There is an end to the water in the ocean. Mm. Right. And so saying like, you know, I can only take four clients a month, or in my case, like I only have six coaching slots open. That's not false scarcity. That is me actually looking at my calendar, looking at the time it takes me to work with a coaching client and being like, no, I can only afford six of those before I start to burn out. I need to take care of myself in order to be sustainable. So it's, it's not setting a limit in order to make you buy now so I can get a sale and make more profit. It's setting limits that make the business sustainable, both like for you to run so that your clients and your customers have the best experience. And it is more about bringing humans back into the equation instead of um, focusing just on dollars and profits. Because at the end of the day, like the person on the other side of the computer screen is a human being. And Do you think copywriting has lost its humanity? <sighs> I think it has been co-opted, like you said. You're, you have a voice, but nobody's listening. Um, it's like that kid in class when you're, like, you're in elementary school and that one really loud, obnoxious kid just keeps yelling and screaming and running around the room. Um, he's, he's the modern marketers. And he's the one who's, who's doing all that, <laughs> all the shitty things to make you buy from him. Because- But that's the one with the dollars, right? That's well, that, that's yeah, that kid. That's that kid. You're because that kid has rich white parents. Let's get real. <laughs> <laughs> like the kid has access to more social resources than the rest of us. Hence why he's, yes. you know, but he's also just a pain in the ass and a shitty person. Um, because here's the thing is like, if you go back, if you look at like foundational advertising books, is it like, if you look at Eugene Schwartz, everything in breakthrough advertising is talking about yeah, he, talk, he breaks down different headlines, but his, his, um, that line about desire cannot be created, only channeled, that's fundamental human nature. Um, he talks about the stages of awareness, the stages of sophistication. All of these principles that he talks about are ways to like meet your people where they're at and how to like have a conversation with them as human beings that's actually, that they're actually receptive to. Because if you know, like, if, you, if you've ever like tried to hit on someone in a bar and you can just open with something that's totally wrong. And it's just like, oh God, it, it's, it's not even like trying to manipulate them. It's just saying, where are you? And how do I meet you where you're at? If you look at, I think it's an Ogilvy quote, but don't, it, it could be Gary Halbert. Um, it's one of like the old masters where you go back and you look at them. And he actually said like, the consumer is not stupid. The consumer is your wife. And what he means by that is that when they were writing ads in those days is like, you can't treat the consumer like they're an idiot. You need to respect them, respect their intelligence, respect their fundamental dignity. And when you see that that is embedded in the very foundations of advertising, all of a sudden it's just like, yeah, like this is, this is what it was supposed to be. 
and it got co-opted by fancy internet tech and douchey dude bros. Because the reality is, is when you see <clears throat> this kind of copy, it's assuming that I don't have all my Timbits in my snack pack. Yes. It's assuming that that one Timbit, and I'm saying Timbits on purpose because we're both Canadian. <laughs> that one Timbit that's missing, that other person has, and I need that person, that need that person's Timbit to fill up my snack pack because I'm missing that Timbit. I'm not whole. I don't have a double-double. I only have the cream in my coffee because I'm missing something. Mm -hmm. So because I'm missing something, somebody out there has that missing piece of meat. I don't know about that. No, and you know what? That is not true at all. It's, there are, I, I like to think of marketing and of business as like a series of interconnected gears. And so when you turn one, like everything cascades, right? And it's sort of trying to dial in the exact right combination that works for you. And you really have to shift from being like, oh, I am like super prescriptive about like, and this is where there's a balance and where nuance becomes a thing and disqualifying people saying like, look, this is not for you if X, Y, Z, you know, and not giving bullshit reasons. Like I was on, um, there was a webinar with a health coach years ago I attended and she had said like, you know, my program is like, this webinar is not for you if you have no interest in losing weight. I'm like, honey, your entire fucking email list, all your goddamn marketing is about losing weight. Nobody on this webinar does not want to not lose weight. Like they are, they are all here because they want to lose weight. You are not disqualifying anyone. What you should say is something like, hey, you know, this is a combination diet and exercise program. If you have mobility issues, this is not for you. You should work with a, like a specialist. Um, things like that actually take people out of the running. Putting those forward and really thinking about what makes your solution not work for someone is like most people won't do it because they just want the money. But if you're actually honest about what gets people results and where your own limitations are as a service provider, most people won't admit they have limitations because that takes away from the expert status they've cultivated. All of a sudden it's like, oh, I can't, I can't work with you if you're like this. It's like, it takes away from their authority that they've built, right? That like puffed up, I'm the expert authority. It undermines that, which shows us just how fake it is. But when you can say like, in my case, um, I have it explicitly on my, one of my pages. Um, what was it? It was, there's a couple of them. One, for example, is like, I don't work with SaaS or e-commerce companies, not because I can't, not because I can't write for them, but it's just like this, like the, the work I do is not designed for them and it's not a good fit. And I don't enjoy working for those types of companies. Right. And I don't, and historically when I have worked for them, I've not gotten them good results. So it's like, why would I keep working with them? That is being respectful of them and their own goals, but also being respectful of me and my needs. Does that answer the question? Because I feel it, like I went on a rant. <laughs> it totally does. Because what it, it really comes down to is honesty and integrity. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, I know, I, even I'm about to say authentic, like I want to dig out my eye with a spoon because it's just been... Bless Brene Brown. I think her concepts are amazing, but I think people have just taken them and they've gone the way of yoga. Yes. What I mean by authentic is saying, okay, I know you're in pain. And I'm saying this as someone who helps people from heartbreak. I know you're in pain. I know this person left you and I know it sucks rocks, mm -hmm. but I can genuinely help you. I know what it feels like. 
I know how much you want to drunk dial this person. I know <laughs> you want them back, but I also know that one day it will feel better. It does not feel like that right now. Mm-hmm. But what I am finding, Kaylin, is there seems to be, and I've mentioned this before, it's people want, people want the help. But there's a question of like needing versus wanting, because usually when this, when you embark on this journey, when you embark on writing something for your business, when you embark on looking at your broken heart, you're not actually embarking on any kind of superficial journey. It's usually one that's extremely profound. Yes. And because of its profondeur, it's just, yeah. who, who wants it? I don't want to do that. So here's, here's the thing is like, I love what you said about needing versus wanting. A lot of people want the help, but they don't necessarily want to do the work. They want to mm. don't want to do the thing. And part of that I feel is blame on the marketer side because very few of us actually lay out exactly what the work is and what it does and what it entails. And especially when you're talking about something like heartbreak, like it's a lot harder to quantify. But mm-hmm. for me, like in my case specifically, I remember I had a lot of trouble in the early years. Um, I'm still cleaning up the effects of a gut health infection that I've had for actually since 2011. So like I had it active for eight years and I've been treating it for one. Um, And that greatly impaired my ability to work and act and actually take those actions. Someone had laid out for me, like, this is what you're going to have to do every day. This is the toll it's going to take on your brain. I probably would not have started my business in 2015. I probably would have changed how I've done things. Because I, I, I would have known at that point, like, oh, yeah, I don't actually have the capability to do that. But it was all like, make money working from home, wake up in the morning, do yoga, drink your green juice, answer a few emails, watch the sales roll in. Like, you know, there's, we, we yes. want the lifestyle, but very mm-hmm. few people actually talk about the work it takes. Mm-hmm. Or if they, and you know what, there's a, there's a fine line I want to I point out here because there's, there's the work it takes and then there's also like confounding factors that will make the work harder to do and even when people talk about the work they don't necessarily talk about those confounding factors like in my case i had a health condition my brain like was completely taken over i most of my effects um from the gut health infection were neurological which is why it took them eight years to figure out i had it um because typically it shows up as like ibs type symptoms but So that was a confounding factor on why I could never get my business off the ground, why I was always exhausted, why I could never like consistently show up and do the work, even to like build systems to make things easier for myself. Um, Like I, I, I wanted that lifestyle because I knew kind of deep down, like I was sick. I couldn't like keep going in a 40 hour a week job. I was gonna burn out. I knew that um, on some level, but I wanted and it's that wanting that they hit you in because wanting is where we can channel desire. Most of us all have our needs met. The only reason our needs are threatened is because capitalism says, if you don't pay your rent, we kick you out. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so true. Yeah. And so we have to turn everything into a want and it becomes, I totally lost my train of thought there. <laughs> um, but it becomes wanting is different from doing the work right? You can want the end thing without doing the work. A great example, actually. I am 
uh, I'm kind of a huge nerd. And uh, my, my most recent obsession has been video game speedrunning, which is uh, like a subgenre of pro gaming where they try to beat a game as quickly as possible. And um, a couple of the games that they run are like my favorites from when I was a kid. So I actually went back and last time I was playing, replaying one of these games, I tried some of the tricks and I got this trick on like the fifth try. I'm like, that's way easier than I thought it was. Like I could do this thing. And then I actually sat down and like did a little research on speed running and like, look at what it took. And everyone on single, one of them just like, it just takes practice to get this stuff, but you're looking at like 3000 hours of practice. And I just sort of said, went, went and said like, you know what? That would be really cool, but I don't want to spend my, my 3,000 hours doing that. I've got fiction to write. I've got poetry to write, like you mentioned. Like, I've got other things to do with that time that's more valuable to me. And that is, that is the difference. When a lot of times we want, we don't look at the reality of getting the thing or what it takes to like build it or create it or actually have it in our lives and maintain it. Because we're taught to sell the result. Yes. And I don't think selling the results is a bad thing. I've described it to a, a dating coach I worked with once. She's like, I, I, I feel really icky about like this stuff. I'm like, look, you know, you're, you are giving them this toolbox of different techniques, tricks, things they can do, skills that they you know, sort of roll into their daily life. You know, this toolbox could be used in hundreds of different ways. You know, a therapist might tell you, you could do is it this way. Uh, a leadership coach might tell you, you could use it that way. You know, show them the birdhouse that they're going to build with the tools you're giving them. Like, we need to see that, but there's a fine line between selling only the result and not taking me through the actual work I'm going to have to do. Mm. Kaylin, this has been such an enjoyable conversation. One that's not done for the record. No, I'm like, <laughs> is, is it, I'm looking at like, are we at time already? <laughs> like, it's not done, but for now... I'm so grateful for you, all that you are, and having you on Broken Hearted today. Althea, thank you so much. I was really honored to be able to meet you in this space, and this has been a like pure joy. Thanks again. You're so welcome. Learn more about Kaylin and their work at www.touchstonecopy.com, and I'll include this link in the show notes. Join me next week for the first of the final episodes of Broken Hearted. And yes, I am bringing this podcast to a close next month in December, but the next few episodes will be amazing. Until then, as this global pandemic rages on, please stay safe. Follow Brokenhearted on Instagram at brokenhearted.podcast. Check us out for all the latest news, episode trailers, and tidbits from the show.